0: Son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Scripture open to Colossians 3:18, it's short enough to memorize. Ladies, Wives, submit to your husbands. Are there any questions? (laughs) You know, this is a time of year when we um, uh, come up with New Year's resolutions and things. Uh, I think the most common one is a resolution to lose weight. And in preparation for my resolution to lose weight, I've been gaining weight all last year (laughs) so that I would have something to work on. So it's been a very successful year so far. Um, You know, but we make all kinds of resolutions to be nicer, kinder to each other, to learn a foreign language, uh, to get a handle on finance. You know, we we make all kinds of New Year's resolutions, and basically they all have to do with the notion that uh, we want to be better than we were. Uh, We sort of realize that life isn't exactly what it should be, so we want to do better, so we make a a resolution at the beginning of the year that we're going to do better, and uh, some of them last longer than the others. But most of us, by the time we get a little bit into the New Year, we're pretty back well, uh, back to the old sort of thing, because uh, it's really not within us so much to change ourselves. The good news of the gospel is that God changes people. Amen. And that when you come to Christ in faith, he sends the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer, and it's the Holy Spirit that is doing the work and doing the growing and doing the changing. So is change possible? Well, left to yourself, probably not. But is change possible in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me let me suggest to you this for a New Year's resolution. All right, if you haven't written one yet, um, I've, I've got one for you. It goes like this: Whatever you do, in word and deed, that pretty much covers it. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, whatever you're talking about, whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Can you imagine how this coming year will be transformed if that resolution takes hold in your life? Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Another way to phrase that is, I'm going to live for the glory of God in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever venue, whatever situation, every relationship, I'm going to submit to Jesus Christ as absolute Lord of that situation. Let me give that to you, offer that to you as a New Year's resolution, because that's frankly what Paul says we are to be doing. This Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the firstborn of all creation, and who is the head of the body of the church, all this so that he might have preeminence in all things, Now, this morning, I want for us to sort of narrow the focus of that preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ in all things, and just narrow that down to the home, to the marriage relationship. Because Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible, glorious, all majestic God in the home. And He is the firstborn of all creation in the home. And he is the head of the body, those relating to the Father through the Son, he is the head of the body in the home. And so this morning I would, I would invite you to, to view Colossians uh, chapter 3 verse 17 that we just read as your resolution. It's the connecting link into what follows. Paul says, whatever you're doing in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, wives, this means submit to your husbands. Husbands, this means that you will love your wives. Children, this means that you will honor and obey your parents. Parents, this means that you will bring up your children in a proper, godly way. Slaves, this means that you will be obedient and that you will be useful and a positive force and a positive presence in that relationship. And masters, this means that you will treat your slaves as a brother in Christ. See, once you you understand that Jesus Christ is supreme in all things, for example, in the home, and so that's, that's what we're looking at here. And when we come to 318, Scripture says, What this means, ladies, that in the marriage relationship, wives submit to your husbands. Aha. We've just run across the war on women in the Apostle Paul you can tell that he didn't like women. He probably had some convoluted, distorted relationship with his mother. He just thought that all men should, <laughs> should uh, get everything they wanted, and women were lesser creatures. Okay, I, I've told you the technical theological term for that kind of thought. Poppycock? That's the Greek. The Hebrew? Balderdash. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But the world will look at this, and they 'll say, how, "How could you possibly preach this kind of thing? Women, wives, submit to your husbands, not in a modern era where we finally have discovered, as if we didn 't know already that that women are are, are intellectually and, and and mentally and socially and, and in terms of capabilities uh, you know it's certainly capable and, and I was going to say equal to the men, but but you know you know um, the, you know what i 'm talking about so uh, you know but certainly we're, we're beyond this thing where we have these servile women who are who are just in the home and yes whatever you want whatever you want now, stepford wives does that mean anything to anybody okay you old people teach that to your young people uh you know what what that means stepford wives were, were uh, perfect wives in the town of stepford and it turned out they were all robots you know mindless robots uh they, you know, the bible has no interest in that no interest in that at all But the world doesn't understand what we're talking about in a godly Christian marriage because the world doesn't understand what marriage is at all anymore. And it's not just in the recent years and the so-called gay rights movement and all that. That is not what has destroyed marriage in America. It started with the attitude of, well, if I'm not happy, we're going to end this thing. Marriage is about my happiness. Marriage is about uh, my getting what I need and what I want. And, and, you know, if she's unhappy and if she can't can't, uh, uh, supply what I need, well, you know, we'll just have a parting of the ways and we'll all be happier. And then there's the idea that the sexual relationship isn't to be confined to marriage, but it's all about, you know, the experience and, 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 uh, and the joy and, you know, and on the pleasure that it brings. And, and by divorcing that, that uh, sexual intimacy from the home and from marriage, then you were also sabotaging the home as well. And so, you know, by the time the Supreme Court got around to the most idiotic definition of marriage I have ever read. I don't mean to be political about this, folks, but when the Supreme Court talks about marriage in the recent decision, it is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, maybe not the dumbest, but it's in the running. Our nation, our culture does not understand godly marriage at all. So I refuse to let the world define biblical terms. I refuse, the wor- refuse to let the world interpret Scripture according to its convoluted, upside-down way of thinking. I think it might be best if we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, let's just do that for a moment. Let's define the terms it Says wives. Well, let's find out what God meant by wives. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. My Bible, it's on page 3, chapter 2, verse 18. I don't know what page it is. If you have a, a study Bible with a lot of notes at the bottom of the page, it could be page 17. Mine is page 3. But this is, this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This, this is in the midst of God bringing everything into being and ordering it according to his design and his plan. He's brought creation into being and he's created man, Adam, he has created. And uh, now he's, he's looking over what's happened Adam in, in, in the garden. In verse 18, Then the Lord God said, by the way, the Lord God is the only one who has a right to speak. He's the only one who has a right to bring an assessment on what marriage ought to be. He's the only one who has the right to declare what is good and what is not good in human relationships and in human endeavors. In other words, God's in charge here. This is a novel concept, I understand it, but God is sovereign, and so, the sovereign Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that he should try to get through life by himself because this guy that I've just created, he's not up to it. There's something more that is needed. It's not as though this surprised God. You know, it's not as though he, he, he created Adam and said, wow, I messed up on that one. I better try again. Well, maybe he didn't. No. <laughs> But the, the, the thing is, God's design was always to create the male and female. Just read, you know, Genesis 1. You know, so so the, the, the male, female was always a part of God's design. But when he looked at the man by himself, he says, this isn't complete. You know, he, he, this, this, is, this is, there's more to the human race than this. So he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Let's understand what he's saying. I will create a helper. Oh, it's a terrible thing to be a helper. It's a second place position. Absolutely not. The Lord our God is a very present, what? Help in time of trouble. Constantly God is called the helper of the children of Israel. It is not that this is a subservient position and so I just do what you tell me because after all, I don't count very much. No, to say that someone is a helper is to say they bring a resource to the situation that would not be there otherwise. That they bring a capacity and an ability to the relationship that would not be there otherwise. And so when God said, I will create a helper for him, he said, I'm gonna give this relationship everything it needs. And there's not enough in the man, he needs the woman. By the way, there's not enough in the woman. She needs the man. But I'm going to complete this thing, and this is my design. The sovereign God says this is my design. It will be a man and it will be a woman, and I'll bring them together, and that will complete the set, right? That will complete what my design is for the home and is for the marriage. So in this definition of wives and husbands, it has to do with God's design that the husband and the wife together fulfill the destiny that God has set before them. Let me put that in another way. Marriage was designed by God, not sociologists. Marriage was designed by God to glorify God. Marriage was designed to be an arena in which a man and a woman together could fulfill the will of God for their lives. It was designed so that a man and a woman together would give glory and honor and praise to their their heavenly father, to God the Father, sovereign Lord God. And so God says, I'm going to make a helper for him because he needs this completion that it's not going to be complete until I do that. But then he said, a helper fit for him is my translation. I think the the King James doesn't say meet for him, doesn't say mate. Now, whenever somebody says, well, the wife is my helpmate, well, Fine, but that's not the right translation. It's a help meet for him, uh, M W T. meet for him. And what that means is, he is a, she is to be a helper who is suitable for and on par with and able to relate to eye to eye on, a, on, a, on an equal plane, a helper who is all that he needs and is all that he is and able to relate to him on that basis. So to say that the wife is to be the helper is simply to recognize uh, the reality that a man and a woman come together and they need each other. And one of the things the woman does is she's going to help the husband fulfill the destiny that God has for that marriage. Okay? And she is going to do so on an equal footing, not an identical footing. I mean, the Bible talks about biblical roles in marriage. But right now we're talking about value, worth, capacity, ability. All of that's the same. All of that's to be... Um, you know, uh, recognized as being fully there. So, God says, I'll make a helper fit for him. Now, in verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. (laughs) And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Let us agree that Adam had a tremendous imagination in some of these names. But the idea was, as, as a creature is brought to Adam, he would name it. And, and by that naming, he would recognize what that creature was, how it fit into God's plan and, 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 and uh, design for, for creation. And, and so, naming this, Adam is just surveying all the living things. You know, is there, is, is there a living thing out there that can be, be a helper for me? And it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God created the woman in a unique, powerful way that spoke forever of her equality to her husband. Um, It was, I believe, Matthew Henry said, you know, God did not create her from the feet that that he would walk all over her um, or from the head that she would dominate him, but from the ribs so that she would walk beside him. Uh, That's poetic. It's not anywhere in the Hebrew exegesis, but, boy, I like that thought. So God brings the woman to the man. Then the man said, where have you been all my life? (laughs) Man, I've been searching for you. <laughs> Where, well, okay, here's what he says. The man says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You see, you can't save another creature that is bone of my bones. Some of you have pet dogs. I, I'm glad that you have pet dogs. I'm glad that you have pet dogs. <laughs> But you don't save your pet. Uh, you love your dogs, don't you? You give them names, act like they're your children, buy them Christmas gifts, put funny little hats on them, and take pictures, put it on Facebook. I mean, you love your dogs. You know? And dogs are good for you. You know, having a pet around the house, some, some living thing there, you know. I, you know one, one of the nightmares I have is that if I'm ever alone in this world, the boys will buy me a dog. <laughs> hey, Dad, you need a dog. So I put it in the will that if they ever do that, they get nothing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. But as much as you love your dog, as much as your pet is, is, is meaningful to you and helpful to you and all those other things, you would never say bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You would ne- never say of an animal. As dear as you might love that animal. You would never say, here is something equal to me. But the man said to the woman, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This, this is who I am and I see that in her. And so I'm going to call her woman. Hebrew word for that is Isha. Because she was taken from the man. The Hebrew word for that is Ish. So uh, she, she's going to be Isha because I'm Ish. And we're, we're just going to be in this thing together. Now that's God's design. When you want a biblical definition of husband and wife, it's a man and a woman coming together for the glory of God to fulfill their lives one with another by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when Jesus talked about marriage, he talked about a man um, uh, not, not just viewing his wife as chattel or as property, but viewing her as to be honored and respected. Okay, the, the, the very next verse explains that. Um, verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Debbie's mother used to point out, it doesn't say that a wife should leave her mother and father. <laughs> I don't know about that. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father... Hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, one flesh, one flesh, okay? Now, that's, that's how God designed it. Folks, this was a marriage made in heaven. I mean, this, this, you know, search the world over. Eve was the one for Adam, and he knew it. This was a marriage made in heaven. And it fell apart the moment they started to leave God out of their marriage. The moment they said, we've got a better idea. We've got a better notion. We don't need the commandments of God. We don't need to adhere to that. We, we, We can figure this out on our own. And the moment they did that, the marriage began to break up and to fall apart. They hid. They were ashamed. They started accusing one another. Adam, what have you done? The woman you made, you gave me that woman. That woman's impossible, Lord. You have no idea. (laughs) And so the marriage broke apart when they left God out. You see, the marriage relationship was created for the glory of God. And this will tell you why you're married. Not why you got married. I know why you got married. It was, a, it was, you know, yeah, that's what it was. Five years later, 10 years, seven years later, whatever it is, one day you woke up and you said, why am I married? You know, what's going on here? I can tell you why you're married. You're married for the glory of God. You may not see it, but that's God's design. And if you're ever wondering, you know, why, why are we married and why should we stay together? For the glory of God. Why should we work harder at our problems? For the glory of God. Why should we go the extra mile and, and, and weather the rough places in life and those times in the marriage when, when things aren't going exactly as we like? Why do we do that? For the glory of God because if the reason is for my happiness, you'll quit eventually. If it's for my personal fulfillment, you'll quit eventually. If it's for my advancement, you'll quit eventually. But if it's for the glory of God and you're surrendered and by faith in Jesus Christ, He sends the Holy Spirit and you get through those rough stretches. You know, most, most people think that marriage should, should just be sort of a An ever increasing line You know getting better and stronger Better and stronger better. That'd be terrific Uh, That's what would have happened If our first parents had never sinned Here's what marriage is really It's an up It's a down It's a little bit of up And it's some down And then it's up Talk to the great saints Who've been married 50 years They'll tell you this They'll tell you this the other thing they'll tell you is that when you're in one of those little downturns, I'm not talking about the, the marriage is falling apart or, you know, or things like that, but, but, you know, when, when you've just gone through one of those things where, 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 where it's not as not apparent that you're growing in, and so one of those little downturns, what they'll tell you is if you can just weather the storm, the day will dawn in the morning and just get through the darkness for a moment and then the light will shine again. But if you think that marriage should be nothing but, you know, you, you know this constant thing upward. And, you know, all of you have marriages like that, and I do too. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if, if, if it's not, then, then when you hit the down thing, you're going to say, oh, we're never coming back up again. You're going to panic to your detriment. But when you understand that God is sovereign still, God is a, re- a redeeming, saving God still, that God is one who works miracles still. You know, even in those sort of those, those down times, those, those, those troubled times, He'll bring you through and you'll be climbing again. You'll weather the storm. So, you know, knowing that your marriage is for the, the, the sovereignty of God tells you, the glory of God tells you why you're married. It also tells you who's in charge. Hint it's not the husband. The glory of God means that Jesus Christ is head of the home. It means that if you're looking for answers and directions in the home, you set your mind, you set your eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Sound familiar? And when you're looking to to find direction for the marriage and the relationship, you look to the Son, you look to Jesus Christ, and he draws you to the glory of the Father. See, knowing that your marriage is about the glory of God tells you how to raise your children. I, I remind you, most, most of us, we had our kids, and then, you know, somebody handed, to, you know, this little baby to us, and we looked at him and said, are you nuts? I have no idea what I'm doing. And the answer is they were nuts. We had no idea what we were doing. But when that little baby was placed in your arms, Here, here's your goal for that baby. And, and, and it's not, oh, I just want him to be happy. I just want him to be fulfilled. No, I want him to live for the glory of God. And then he'll be happy and then he'll be fulfilled. You know? And that, that'll just illuminate everything about child raising. You know? When you know that marriage is about the glory of God, then, then there's no longer any room for the backbiting and the bitterness and the hatred and the spite and, and the sniping at one another. You know, this, this incredible thing that, the, that this person that you love dearly and married and you promised your life to this person, suddenly you're just looking for opportunities to put them down. But when you know that marriage is about the glory of God, then you realize What we're about is we're going to be about building each other up and encouraging one another and forgiving one another and understanding that, you know, if there's a problem going on, um, nobody's going through that alone. We're going through it together. See, now you're starting to understand why. To say that wives submit to their husbands can never mean that she becomes a codependent enabler. It is rather that she becomes a real presence of the Holy Spirit in the relationship so that when he is doing self-destructive things and when he is wandering off beam, that she is there to challenge him and challenge him in a loving way that will summon him out of the depths of his selfishness and into a proper commitment to the marriage. That's that's what it means. So, yeah, once you get the idea that marriage is about the glory of God, it changes everything. Um, some of you know who Chip Ingram was. The rest of you don't. All that matters is he said this. He said, every marriage should be about something bigger than itself, S- about something bigger than itself, that the husband and the wife, they just know together that they are working on something beyond just themselves. And that something is the glory of God. You know, a lot of couples express that, and they, they say, well, the theme of our marriage is, is hospitality. Others will say the theme of our marriage is teaching. Some will say the theme of our marriage is caring and, and encouraging and counseling and, and so forth. Um, you know, these things are expressive of a marriage that's about the glory of God. And when the marriage is about something bigger than itself, then it has more resources than just itself. So that's what we're looking at when we're looking at that word wife and that word husband. We're looking at a marriage relationship designed by God for the glory of God that gives definition to the marriage relationship and what it should be all about. So that's what we're reading about as we turn back now to Colossians um, 3.18. Wives. Understanding what God means a wife to be. Submit to your husbands. By the way, next week we'll unload on the husbands. Um, okay. Uh, uh, amen, Debbie says. But, if, but, but here's the deal. I, I'll just give you a preview of it because it can't be said enough. If a wife is to submit to her husband, the husband is to die for his wife. If the wife... Is to be a helper to her husband. The husband is to sacrifice himself for his wife. Okay, so that's what we mean by husband and wife. So, so, all right. Now, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, that submission doesn't take place on a human definition. It takes place on a Christ-centered definition Let me tell you what submission looks like in the life of Jesus Christ. He happened to be the glorious Son of God. And even though he was in majestic glory in his very being, he was God himself. He did not think equality with God, something to be clutched and grasped and held onto, but rather he emptied himself and took on the likeness of a man, and being found in the fashion of a man, he became a servant and obedient even unto death. Christ submitted himself to our well-being. You know, you, 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 you we just come through the Christmas season. The story after that in the Gospel of Luke uh, tells about how Jesus went to the temple when he was 12 years old, And uh, his parents, thinking he was with relatives or whatever it was, they they drove off and left Jesus at church. None of you have ever done that. (laughs) But you sort of know what I mean. Anyway, they got a day down their journey and said, where's Jesus? I thought you had him. No, I thought he had him. Well, let's ask, you know, let's ask uh, the relatives. You know, nobody's seen Jesus. They run back to, to Jerusalem and they start looking for Jesus. They find him in the temple and there he is answering questions from the, the, the rabbis, from the leaders. All right. They say, Jesus, you know, don't you know we were looking for you? You know, how could you do this? Don't you know that I must be in my father's house? I mean, doesn't it make sense to you? I I should be about my father's business. But Jesus left, and he went home with them. And the Scripture says there in in the Gospel of Luke, it says, he was in submission to them. It's a a perfect paraphrastic. Uh, means this, this was his constant attitude towards his parents. He was in submission to his parents. Folks, If ever there was a kid who could look his mom and dad in the eye and say, you know, I know more about this than you do. Now, you've got kids who think they know more. But Jesus was the kid who did know more. You know, if if there there was a kid who could look at his mom and dad and say, you guys really don't know what you're doing here. But he was still in submission to them because he was honoring God's design for the home and God's design for how children and parents would relate to each other. Submission in the life of Jesus meant that when the disciples kept fumbling the ball and fumbling the ball and fumbling the ball, he did not pull them out of the game. He did what good coaches did. He called the next play to give them the ball. He expressed his his confidence in them and he he nurtured them and he kept kept going with them. Uh, The the submission of Jesus meant that on the night uh, before he was betrayed that he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he took a basin and he got on his hands and knees and he went from disciple to disciple to disciple and he washed their feet. Submission for Jesus Christ meant that when he was dying on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't have the foggiest notion what they're doing. The submission of Christ meant our salvation. That kind of submission is not a bad thing. And it turns out it needs to be a part of the life of all believers. When you come to Jesus Christ, we are called, all of us, to a life of submission. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul talks about these same relationships, before he gets to the very verse in front of it, he says, Submit yourselves one to another means all Christian believers submit themselves one to another. That means it's my job to be submissive to the believers around me. What that means is I become a channel whereby God uses my resources for their well-being, for their benefit, and for their growth. So we are to be submitting one to another. And and this this works out in all kinds of ways. Let me tell you, um, I had problems with the biblical idea of submission. I really did because in Romans chapter 13, believers in Jesus Christ are told to submit to the government and the governmental authorities. I want you to know, I I was reading this in college, okay? This is uh, the, the end of the 60s, start of the 70s. Vietnam War is going full blast, right? And I'm trying to figure out, so the idea is that I'm not supposed to have anything to say about what my government is doing when I think it's wrong? And I'm, I have never read a passage of Scripture that I ever looked at and said, I don't see how that could possibly be true, except that one in Romans 13. Odd, odd isn't it? You'd think it would be something else, but that, that was the only one. I said, you know, how could that be? Then I started reading the whole Bible. And I started reading about how the believers in Jesus Christ said, we must obey God rather than man. Yes, as believers in Jesus Christ, we we submit ourselves to the authority of of the government for the sake of order. The Bible says that's why God established government, to rein in the sinful tendencies of the population. Uh, But uh, but even if the government is not a good government looking out for the welfare of the people and doing all the right things like our government is now… You know, even when that isn't the case, we still submit to the authorities for the sake of of decency and order. But once the government crosses the line and tries to usurp what belongs to God, we will obey God rather than man. Once the government tries to tell us that we cannot live for Christ, we will obey God rather than man. And we will join our brothers and sisters throughout the ages who have inhabited prison cells and have gone to the martyr's death. We will do that for the sake of obeying God rather than man. Okay. So suddenly you understand that this submission is, first of all, submission to Christ. And because of the submission to Christ, then we submit for decency and order to these other authorities and powers uh, that, are, that are going on. So when Paul says to the wife, he says, submit to your husbands, he's got all this background going on. All the background of of Colossians 1 and Colossians 2 and the first part of Colossians 3, he's got all all, all that going on in, in his mind. And so when he says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, then what you can do is you can fulfill God's plan and destiny for your marriage in so doing. Now, does that mean she just rolls over and plays dead every time he says boo? No. That doesn't help him. You know, a husband is not helped by a wife who does not challenge him. He is not helped by a wife who does not occasionally say, you know, dear, honey, sweetums, you're really being stupid right now. It's never happened in our marriage. She didn't have to say it. I knew I was being stupid. (laughs) You know, the only time, this is just, the, the only time Debbie and I ever fought when we were dating uh, was when we decided to have a biblical marriage, and so we bought books. This, this is what I do. You know, if I want to know something, I buy a book. You know, drives Debbie up the wall. But I buy a book. So I bought a book. Um, I bought two books. One, one was by uh, Bob Green and Anita Bryant. Anybody remember Anita Bryant, okay? For a while, she was the guru of, of Christian marriage. And you looked to Bob Green and Anita Bryant because they could tell us what a Christian marriage was. And they did that right up until their divorce. But, you know, they... Um, I bought that book, and then there was another book called The Christian Family or something by Larry Christensen, as I recall. But anyway, uh, their idea was, in the home, the husband is in charge. And he has authority over the wife who has authority over the children who have authority over the dog who has authority over the cat. Well, that can't be true. Nobody has authority over a cat. But anyway, so the dog over the cat, the cat over the parakeet, the parakeet over the fungus growing in the, in the bathroom. You know. And so, so the idea was that there's this hierarchical order and so you, you need to, to maintain these, these, these lines of authority. I thought that was a good thing. I thought it really was. You know, Debbie and I were, you know, we're in love and we're, we're doing all this thing. And, and so I said, well, that's what we're going to do. We fought like cats and dogs, <laughs> whatever that looked like. But I mean, it finally dawned us after about a week of this It said, this is nuts. This is nuts. This is what, this isn't what people do who love each other. They work together. They talk together. They share together. They work things out together. And when the Bible says that the wife is to be submissive to the husband, he doesn't get to tell her to do that. Sorry, guys, you don't get to lecture your wife. You know? You live for Christ. You make him known and manifest in front of her. And the beauty of Christ in you will draw her to you. It'll solve a lot of problems. But it says a wife should be submissive to her husband. It's, It's simply saying that Ladies, when you marry a guy, you are saying, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to enrich your life and be a channel through which God's Spirit works for your good, and I'm going to give my life in in serving that end in your life. In other words, I'm going to live for the glory of God so that you too might know the glory of God. that's what it's talking about for ladies. Next week, we'll talk about the guys. But ladies, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You know, defined by that relationship with Jesus Christ, by the sovereign glory of God, submit yourselves to your husband. And in that way, in, in your, your marriage and your home will become a, an arena in which everything you're doing in word and deed will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be giving thanksgiving to the Father in the name of Jesus the Son. Amen? Let's bow in prayer together. Gracious Father, again, we come to a challenge of your Word, and it is beyond us. Within ourselves, we don't have the knowledge, the wisdom, or the strength. But, Father, you supply all these things in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking that in homes and marriages and in relationships today, that your Holy Spirit would invade the heart and turn eyes towards Christ to see things above, to latch on to your glory, to live that you would be honored and pleased. Um, Father, there are those here today that a lot of this has seemed strange and alien. There there are some here today that that this talk about surrendering to Christ, just, it, it doesn't compute. So I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would open the mind of understanding, open the heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, to embrace him, to confess sin, to come to own him as Lord and Savior. And, Father, for that brother and sister who has been struggling, and, Father, who needs that encouragement, let your Holy Spirit speak that word today. Because, Father, our desire is that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.